Relationship fundraising is eHarmony, not Tinder. This is not a one-night stand. Welcome back to the Facts About PAX podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director. And I'm Adam Belmar, and this is episode 124 of the number one PAC podcast in America. 124, Adam. It feels like today's temperatures, but we're going to remind everyone listening exactly why that is. Absolutely. And today we're taking a deep dive into relationship fundraising. From the how to the why to the sustainable results that you can achieve. And Adam, our guest, Nancy Bosker, wrote the book on how to catch and keep contributors. In fact, the title of her book is Go Fish, How to Catch and Keep Contributors, a practical guide to fundraising, which I might also add is out now with an updated 2023 version. It's really a fantastic resource, Adam, based on, you know, Nancy's amazing experience as a fundraising strategist and practitioner for political campaigns, nonprofits, and associations. Coming up in just a minute, author, democracy coach, fundraising strategist, and scholar, Nancy Bosker. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's SNAP activities share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks so much, Adam. And gosh, it's hard to believe we are upon August recess here in Washington, D.C. No doubt. The Congress is uh, headed for the airport. Jet fumes are hanging heavy in the humid, (laughs) triple-digit temperatures of Washington, D.C., Michaela. My goodness. But we are not slowing down here at NAPAC. We do have a upcoming event next week that I wanted to really uh, focus a few minutes on because it's something new for us, but we're doing uh, a 30-minute deep dive really on NAPAC board leadership, why it's important that we have a, a you know a strong governing body, how to get involved in our board, the roles and responsibilities of our board members, and really how to apply and what the next steps are. So we're going to be spending about 30 minutes with some of our current and former board members next week to talk to our members about about getting more involved in the organization. We have so many great leaders at NABPAC all in their own space and an opportunity to give back and learn how to be on a board and coordinate budgets and make priorities happen. This is going to be a let's talk that everyone should join. Absolutely. And then I think, you know, I think everyone needs to take a little beat this August recess and we'll come back in September with our ever popular luncheons with Carol Laham from Wiley for one of our legal luncheons. And Adam, we're all systems go for our November first annual conference here in DC, which we're really excited about. I've got it on my calendar. I know that some of the communications have started to go out. It is always my favorite time of the NAPAC calendar year, even when it is not in South Florida. Oh, I know. Well, we're already thinking about 2024. You know, I think this is an opportunity for folks to uh, really gear up for the final push of the big presidential election and, and really mapping out their plans for 2024. So a great way to end the year, which is just hard to believe we're talking about end of the year, Adam. <laughs> I know you can see it from here. Well, look, before we bring in our guest and start the conversation about relationship fundraising in the employee funded in business trade association PAC space, I want to do a proper introduction because Nancy Bosker is an Ohio native who launched her career in Washington, D.C. after college. She started on Capitol Hill as a legislative correspondent, and she ended 
that Capitol Hill career as a chief of staff. And she went on to be the inaugural director of the Center for Women in Politics and Public Policy at Texas Women's University. Nancy created that vision there to honor pioneering women in Texas politics and policy, commemorate the passage of the 19th Amendment, and launch programs to increase women's political participation. In addition to running her own eponymously named consulting firm, Nancy also serves on the board of Running Start, an organization that encourages young women to run for office as an advisor for Veterans Campaign, a program that encouraged veterans to enter public service. And she serves on the board of the LBJ Women's Campaign School at the University of Texas. Well, of course, you know, I'm excited because uh, anyone that's connected with the University of Texas is, you know, a friend to me as a fellow Longhorn. Nancy Bosker, welcome to the Facts About PAX podcast. Well, thank you. And yes, you know, it is all about one degree of separation. When I wanted to reach out to you, I had kind of in a pleasant way stalked you, right? <laughs> you went to university. You were a Texan. You went to University of Texas. We had a lot of the same friends. Um, you teach at the grad school of political management and so do I. And it doesn't take that long to do that level of research because I never want to have anything be a cold call. I want it to be warm communication. And that's what really gets people's attention when you're trying to raise money. Absolutely. That really will tie into the conversation I'm so excited to have with you today. So why don't we jump in? Let's start high level, Nancy. When you say relationship fundraising, what do you mean? I really am talking and encouraging people to form personal connections rather than transactional. It is finding that one degree of separation. I mean, you know, this is a small town. You know your members if you're in a pack. Find something that you have in common. Um, it can be universities, civic associations, your veterans, whatever it may be. But I advise people your ability to make personal emotional connections can move people from concern to passion to cash. And in the way of advocacy, it's concern, passion to action. And it makes all the difference in the world because you're just, it goes beyond just, will you do me a favor? It is really pulling you into my personal network. I love the way you talk about that, Nancy, because relationships, when they're formed correctly and they are meaningful, they have an important effect on fundraising. And I know that you caution everybody, this is a long-term play, right? This is not some sort of one-off engagement. Yes, I, I always laugh that relationship fundraising is eHarmony, not Tinder. This is not a one-night stand. Once you get a donation, you have to continue it. You know, you have to be grateful, thankful. Ask them again. Thank them again for helping. But this is a continuation of a relationship because we know once somebody gives, they'll almost always give again and again and again if they have that relationship and really be treated with respect. Nancy, I love that. We have, we have said a lot over the last couple of years that even on the other end, when you're giving a contribution to a candidate, you know, it's, it's, it's not a long-term relationship. You know, you can give a contribution and it maybe it's just the first date, right? And it's kind of the same on the flip side, as you were saying, like this is a long-term developed relationship and these relationships take time and intention. You often speak in terms of strategy for this kind of engagement. What's your framework advice? Well, for people that are in this field, 
you know, I was always thinking, what do we have as an advantage as Americans that I don't find in other countries? Um, so, for instance, I first went to Moldova in 2014, and I saw all the problems they deal, deal with, with corruption, a billion dollars was missing from the country's treasury. And so I had to sit down and figure out, how do I teach fundraising in a culture where there is no fundraising? And so I came up with... Um, what I first called the three T's and now I call the four T's. They have evolved over the years and I need to teach it now in America because a lot of us have forgotten these things. The first one really is personal trust. Your personal trust asset is your most important commodity. You are a person of your word. And sometimes it's, you know, it's simple. Yes, I will bring three dozen cookies to the bake sale on Monday and you actually do it. Or I will make this call for you. It's really being a person of your word. I think sometimes we lose that when we are so hyper-focused on our goal. But if you don't have trust, people are not going to give you money. Second, be transparent. Learn to love that spreadsheet. Tell people how you're going to spend the money that you're raising. Yes, you don't want to give them your entire budget, but you want to reassure people that you are a good steward of their money. Make sure you have the right system set up. Back when I was young in politics, a campaign was maybe 150, 200,000. Now they're 5, 10, 15, 20 million and up. You need to run that like a business. You need to have a bookkeeper. You need to have somebody who's vetting the contributions, uh, a CPA. You really need a team when you're dealing with that level of money. Third, third T is tithing, which is really giving back. Americans come out of the womb as many fundraisers. Um, you know, it is so in our culture where it's really not in, in most of the places around the world. So what does this mean? You know, even though only about half of people in the U.S. go to church on a regular basis anymore, we still have that ingrained in our society. So when, you know, I was three years old, I was competitive. If somebody put a quarter in the collection plate at Vandalia United Methodist Church, I would put in 30 cents, right? But we get used to giving back. It's just the same way people are used to giving money. You now just have to pivot to your own organization, your own pack. It is truly a remarkable thing about it. You know, we're the most generous people in the world. Then we had something happen called January 6th. And I had to reflect a lot about that because we seem to have forgotten what does truth look like, right? How do we establish truth? What are the resources? What are trusted places? You know, we are running in a world where Social media was supposed to make us smarter, and it, and it really didn't. It just has all these conspiracy theories. A lot of people are confused, and it used to be if, it, if it's in the newspaper, it must be true, but it's not anymore. And I think as political professionals, we need to really elevate our own game on this. Now, no one likes a smart-ass meme more than I do, but I have to be in my position because I try to have people trust me. I have to be very careful with what I share on social media because people think it's real. So if I could just encourage people to take a step back, do some research, find the root of everything, um, it'll make you a much more trusted leader, especially when it's coming with money. So yes, my, my four T's, which really are a foundation of political fundraising. Nancy, let's talk about storytelling for a moment. I 
in a past career was a broadcast television news producer. So storytelling is a vocation for me. But it is also the cornerstone, as you describe, of the sort of fiber of relationship building and therefore relationship fundraising. Talk to us about those critical four words. Tell me a story. Well, yes. Um, you know, that's Don Hewitt. When he created 60 Minutes, that's what he told his reporters. Tell me a story. So he really set the bar high for reporters. And I think we need to set the bar high for the people we work with. You know, everybody knows somebody. And you're right. Storytelling is the fiber of relationships. It means you listen to people. What are their concerns? I always have to remind people that if you go see a restaurant owner, that restaurant owner is going to care about, you know, do I have enough employees and how does minimum wage affect me? It's not abortion, right? Because this is not you. This is all about your donor. So along the way, my my first job as a, as a small child in Washington, D.C. was with a freshman congressman named Newt Gingrich back in 1979. And of all the things I learned as I was growing up in politics, Newt taught me, listen, learn, help lead. And that's part of the storytelling. You listen to people and you listen appreciatively. You really am trying to understand what's going on. A long time ago, I had a student that said, I want to go to law school. I go, great, let's go to law school. Now I ask, what's your student loan debt? Right? It, it is a different story that they have, and I need to know that part. So you listen and you learn. You figure out how are you going to be the catalyst in getting something done? If you give money to the pack, these things will happen. So you listen, learn, and then you figure out how can you help them, whether it is helping them reach a business goal, an advocacy goal, you know, making sure that our story is told to members of Congress and senators. So you are helping people develop that. Um, I like to say in D.C. and elsewhere, we're, we're kind of a special, a special group of people. We know how to get stuff done. Right. I think President Obama recently was asked, what is your advice for young people? He says, know how to get stuff done. And that's part of helping people. You know, we have special powers that you don't realize you have when you're, it's just your daily life of making a phone call to a congressman's office or emailing somebody at an agency. That's just part of our nature. But the rest of the world really doesn't have that. And, and people always ask me, why do you like to help people? And I went, because I can, right? That's what Mr. Rogers, you know, says. Why did you do this? Because I could. And I think that we need to infuse that listen, learn, help in all aspects of our lives. So inevitably, if you listen, learn, and help people, you're going to be asked to lead them. People like to help people, vote for people who can get things done, right? I always say nobody wants to give money to loser girl. You have to be somebody with a strategy, a plan, and tactics so you can raise the money you need or whatever else you're looking for in, in the world of, of your job as a, as a PAC director. Well, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Nancy, especially about the plan, because the most actionable part of relationship fundraising, if not the most critical to success, is having that plan. So maybe can you help us through your strategies for different segments like personal solicitation, fundraising events, and the difference between the approach for low-dollar and big-dollar donors. Right. I named my book, Go Fish, How to Catch and Keep Contributors, because fishing and fundraising, it's a lot alike. 
if I want a big fish, I'm going to go down to Florida. I'm going to get special bait, special equipment. I'm going to hire the skipper and Gilligan. And we're going out with a specific strategy so we can get a really big marlin. Just like I do with major donors. I need a special strategy. But no less important in fishing or fundraiser is casting a wide net to pick up small and medium fish and small and medium donors. And you have to figure out what's going to motivate them to give. The first thing I do for any candidate, and I do this for a lot of nonprofits, I do something that I ineloquently call the data dump. Someday I will learn the French term for data dump, but all it is is we spend a day where you're bringing, you know, people still have Rolodexes, but we're bringing, you know, let's look at LinkedIn, Facebook, who are your connections? Did you go to Texas A&M? That's always going to be great because you're going to raise more money if you're an Aggie. Same way with Texas. But, you know, we all have our networks, whether it's sorority, fraternity, colleges. Are you in the Kiwanis, the Lions Club, whatever those may be? Where do you go to church? Does your occupation bring special needs to the table, right? If I'm a banker, I'm going to care about these topics. But we sit down and I really work with candidates and organizations to map out who they know, do some preliminary research. Again, God invented Google so I can find out anything I want to know. And Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook so I can keep track of 5,000 people. So using that and figuring out how can I best leverage this relationship? You know, I can call a car dealer and ask for money or... Is it more effective that the car dealer and the other car dealer who are both in the Qantas Club, right? They're going to see each other. They have a more natural relationship. So we map this out and we take a look at, you know, past donations. Are You know, is this person a $1,000 donor? Is this person only given twenty five? And then you kind of map out who you think fits where. I have found and studies have shown you don't insult people when you ask for more than they're able to give. They're act- you actually are complimenting them. Wow, you think I can do that? So don't, you know, I'd rather ask for a thousand and walk out with 250 than to have asked somebody for $20 in an email. So I do. I have a big spreadsheet, call sheets of people appending as much personal information as I can, figuring out how did they give their money in the past? What are they interested in? And what can I do to always keep elevating them to a higher step? Nancy, as a storyteller, I think uh, about all of the great advice that you just shared with us in your process. And I think about it in the context of employee-funded and business trade association PACs. And oftentimes I've found with folks that I've had the opportunity to work with, to assimilate your advice into their situation, it becomes a question of the right messenger. So even if you have a large corporation, that has separate business units, that leadership that people know, that they respect, that they report to, the communications and storytelling, and even ultimately solicitation, fundraising can be affected so well when you take all of that into account. Does that ring true with you as well, Michaela? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. We've spent a lot of time on this show and just in a lot of our messaging and programming that so much is the message, but also the messenger. And you know, oftentimes folks look to, you know, Nancy, the CEO as the messenger. And and sometimes that may not be the right person. To your point, if you've done your homework, if you looked at the connections, if you've looked at maybe previous giving history, you may find that there's a better messenger internally. And so doing that homework in advance of your ask is a differentiator. It really is. And oftentimes, we have to look at the donor 
and figure out what the motivation is, right? Big donors like to have access, right? As I lovingly say, big donors equal big egos, but I really have to, to coordinate what I call concierge service, right? If I'm going to continue, we're going to have recognition. Uh, people who go to fundraising events, those are more mid-level donors, and I find they go for social reasons. It's they want to be part of the club, right? They love the bling. Um, they want to go to an exclusive event. And people who go to events, I also tend to find that they want some value for their donation. Gee, if I'm going to give you $100, what am I going to get? And my, my, my late father was like that. Dad, I need $25 for this candidate. What am I going to get? Tasty rubber chicken, Dad. And, you know, he would go. But, you know, there's that motivation. And finally, the the lower dollar donors, the smaller donors, you know, they really um, tend to be our older of the donors, right? Because they're not used to giving large amounts. But these are our most issue-driven donors, right? They are giving because they care a lot about a particular issue. And you have to figure out what that is um, by talking to them, right? If you don't talk to your donors, you're not going to know what makes them tick, which will really then move them, as I always say, from concern to passion to cash. You know, it's just everything you've talked about today from understanding those relationships and the connections uh, to what drives them to ultimately give at what level is something we've talked about, Adam, here on the show a lot is and what separates us from sort of the win reds and the act blues and some of that clickbait out there is that we take so much time to cultivate the donor. And I think, Nancy, that really gets back to your four T's because it develops that trust, you know, that transparency comes into play because you're you're talking about where the dollars are going. But the donor cultivation, I think for our packs is really what sets us apart and is worth the time and investment that we're doing on a year round basis. You're absolutely right. So let's finish with some key takeaways for our listeners, Nancy. So what are the four top lessons for our pack audience? Well, first of all, give every potential donor, no matter how big or small, the opportunity to invest in the pack and its goals. Again, you may be able to give $20, but maybe that $20 donor will upgrade them over the years. A lot of times, and I've worked for, for candidates that said, I hate fundraising events. They're a pain. I don't want to do them. And I went, okay, but we're leaving out a significant number of people that are in that group, in that mid-level donor group. So you want to give everybody that opportunity to invest. Uh, secondly, as I laugh, conspicuous consumer consumption does not equal contributions. Now, I grew up in the Midwest. I lived in Nebraska. Uh, you know, when you look at Warren Buffett, he lives in the same house he's lived in since the early 50s in Omaha. When I lived there, he used to drive around like in a beater Chevy. And he goes to McDonald's every day and buys whatever the change is in his, in his ashtray, right? So if you looked at him, you'd go, oh, I can't ask that man for a lot of money. Look how he lives. So, you know, there are a lot of people on the coast that may live in a gazillion dollar house and drive a Ferrari and have $100 in the bank. So it's more important that you know what's in people's hearts um, because that determines what's in the bank account. Every week I read another story about an 85-year-old person has died. They lived in a double white trailer. Uh, they used to eat ramen noodles every day at lunch. Oh, and they've left $3 million to the local animal shelter, right? And you would say, I didn't know this person was wealthy. So, you know, don't get bought into, oh, look, that person lives in a rich neighborhood. Therefore, he or she will give us money. It has nothing to do with it. 
Um, the person who contributes a dollar has the same vote as Mr. Big on election day, right? That little old lady that comes in. I did the lieutenant governor's race in Nebraska many years ago, and a little old lady came in with her walker with a crisp $5 bill and said, you know, David used to shovel my snow when he was a little boy. And you know, she's told everyone this, right? That storytelling is the fiber of relationship building. So never look down on people that can't give an, uh, a lot of money because they're to them, this is a lot of money. And then finally, always incorporate what I call the boy strategy. Start your sentences with, because of you, we are able to do X, Y, and Z. It's all about thanking your donors. When I look at fundraising letters in my fundraising class, you know, if there are too many eyes, I did this, I did that, I did that. And I'll go through and go, too many eyes, we need you, the donor, we, the community. And it is a very different way of writing to attract your audience. Nancy, such great advice. Really appreciate you being on the show. Nancy Bosker, president, the Nancy Bosker Company. Thank you for joining us to talk relationship fundraising today on the Facts About PACs podcast. Thank you all. Have a wonderful August break. And thanks to everyone downloading and sharing this podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here next week.